Welcome to Season 2 of Visiting's Radio Show, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside traditional exhibition spaces. I'm Alan Nakagawa. Tanzila Taz Ahmed is an artist, podcaster, writer, poet, and activist. She co-hosts the podcast Good Muslim, Bad Muslim with Zara Norbash. You can view her work and links to other projects at www.tazzystar.me. That's www.tazzystar.me. Um, my name is Tzinzila Taz Ahmed, and I am a writer, podcaster, activist, a doer of things. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> what a lovely space you have here. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I give you the grand tour. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, well, there's so many things we can talk about. Yeah. Where should we I start? feel like we've already been talking for right. hours. <laughs> well, we've been kind of more gossiping. We have been gossiping. Um, you know what I would like to talk about, uh, because, uh, you know, I am a fan of the podcast. Yay. So I've heard heard you guys talk there but what i don't get is what i don't have any background on is your artistic history i know i don't really talk don't about talk it about much, it. much but i don't really have one i don't think i mean because i see myself as a writer first right. and so i have more of a background in writing and the art stuff that i did was just like a little bit on the side yeah, but I mean, I got the cards. Yeah, yeah, um, my Muslim Valentine's Day cards are yeah, out. Awesome. Year seven. I highly recommend you, uh, people checking that out yeah, and on my Etsy. Buying, buying a set. Uh, I bought two. Yes, you two did. Sets, yeah. So I have one up there, and uh, but I gave the other one to my friend Alessandra Montezuma, who's an artist in San Diego mm -hmm. and um, teaches at uh, La Mesa uh, Mesa Kula. Uh, teaches at Mesa College. What did they say? Oh, she, she loved it. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> hopefully uh, she's showing it to people over there. You know, I actually really just started, I, w I would paint on my, like a little bit on my own. And I got to a point, um, I would just like keep paint around in the house. And I would just, I would write, like I, I still see myself as a writer primarily. And then my mother passed away. And then after she passed away, I felt like I needed an outlet and I couldn't do, I couldn't write anymore. I, I stopped being able to express myself through writing. And then all of a sudden I was just pulling out the paint from the closet and I was just going at it with the colors. And um, one of the things that I have a distinct memory of is um, finding um, all these old blue aerogram letters that my mom had in her closet because we were cleaning out her stuff. Oh. And then I took some of the letters and I cut them up and I collaged them. And then I also found her old stamp collection and I appraised them and they were like, it's not worth anything. Then I was like, okay. So that's how I actually started my art practice was going through all my mom's stuff and trying to do something with them. And just, just when I stopped having the ability to write, I was like, I need to, I need to paint. I need to do stuff. And that's kind of where, where my art practice started up. And then all of a sudden I'm doing like, I had my first solo show in Oakland. My mom passed away when I was in Oakland and, um, and we're in LA and, uh, my mom and my dad and my sisters are all here. Um, but the first solo show was basically this whole art show that was just 
art that I made about my mom. Mm. And that's really, I, I mean, that's my art practice is, uh, just, you know, expressing myself through that. Because I am an activist first and a writer, an activist and a writer, primarily, one of the things that I started exploring was how do you use art as a form of activism? Because I had always, um, because the visual art to me was like an expression of emotion and grief and processing. Um, the cards I think are kind of more of a me trying to use art to be a disruptive tool. So that was kind of a new thing because I had never really uh, done that before. And I'd always admired artists that were doing that, like, um, Fabiana from culture strike and Nisha Sembi from Kalakari collective. So there's all these like artists that I look up to who use art to disrupt. So then for me, I was, I've spent maybe the past five years really trying to explore what does, how do you make visual art that is disruptive? Mm -hmm. And that's been a lot of fun, but I don't want to lose like art as an expression of feelings either. Um, which is also tough. Hmm. They could be one in the same. They one, are right? the one in the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I realized what was happening was I spent, was spending all this time on my art and then my writing kind of fell, fell to the back. And so I, I made a decision like I'd probably like two, three years ago. I was like, okay, I need to go back to, need to go back to words. So I made the, the step back in that direction. Hmm. So I haven't actually painted or done anything besides the cards in quite, a, quite some time. The cards have been my outlet. And, and the, the ones I have up on the, the board here, this is your the, third series or that the ones that oh. I'm looking at is, um, six, six series. Wow. And then the one from this year is seven. Oh, okay. I actually skipped a year because I was like, I'm getting too old to write crass cards because they are somewhat inappropriate, some of them. And I was like, I should grow up. And then Trump and Hillary were going at it for the campaign cycle. And I was like, there's too much material here for me not to write something. Sure. So I went back to it. Um, wow. So that's been... And I love, for me, what I love about doing the artwork for the cards is um, each each year I try to visually come up with like a color scheme and thematically decide what I want to, you know, what kind of design I want to put out there. And that's been a lot of fun too. Cause one year I did all blue. Another year I did sparkly hearts. This year I did watercolor. I was trying to do like more of a watercolor type of a look. It's been kind of fun to explore mm. styles. Can we go back to, um, you know the the beginning of of this journey. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really sorry about your mom. Yeah, um, seven years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And have you? Do you have any thoughts on why words, text wasn't doing it for you? And oh gosh, arts? it was just so hard to write anything. It was because you're just feeling so much feelings and. Um, finding words was just so difficult. Yeah. That was my experience through the grief process. I was like, I'm, I'm heavily on social media. That's my day job. Um, and I found that I was like tweeting about her funeral. Like I was tweeting everything. And then 
I thought I thought the tweeting like tweeting just feels like so silly to me now looking back on it. But practically speaking, I didn't even have the energy to pick up a notebook or a pen. But all I had, I had my phone all the time with me. And I was like, well, this is the only way I can talk to people and express myself. So I was just kind of like tweeting things I didn't want to forget. So I was kind of using Twitter for that. And um, people really actually were drawn to that. They um, saw how I was processing my grief and they were reaching out and they were sharing their own stories. And um, and then I... I started painting. And then when I went back to writing, I was writing a lot about the grief process and I got, I, everyone was reaching out after reading my essays. It was a, I had a column, a monthly column on the site called loveinshallah.com. And the column was called radical love. And I was every month I was writing something about, you know, looking for love, but not just someone to love, but just like the idea of love. Um, and finding love and activism and love and family, you know, all, all the kinds of variations. And, um, yeah, the the grief has been a big part of my creative process. I think it was always there. I've always been writing and I've always been an activist, but I never really explored, um, the, the personal aspects of art, um, because I thought, I mean, I, maybe I would have done it for myself. I've always been writing poetry, but um, it really took the grief process to understand how being publicly vulnerable um, was actually an acid in some ways. It was a way to connect with people. And so I've, I think my my journey into art has also been kind of exploring how, like how how are you able to be vulnerable and how are you able to connect with people? And then how are you able to, like with that heart connection, how are you able to, uh, you know, push for the activist issues that are important to you. How do you shift hearts and minds? Um, and how are you telling stories? And so I, I don't know. I think now I'm at a point where I think I had a little bit of a struggle because I do so much stuff. I, I paint, I do poetry, I do essays. I just finished a script. Um, oh, did you finish I, that? I script? finished my script. Yeah, you talk about it uh, 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 quite a bit on the yeah, podcast because it took up oh. my life for the past year. So it's it's a uh, uh, like a sitcom. It's no, it's yeah. a it's yeah. a, a a full feature. It's, it's a, a full. Oh, yeah, I wrote a feature me. script. Yeah, sorry, sorry. And it's a okay. Muslim Christmas rom com. Yes, and I think for me the part one of the things about like I think most artists are only known for like one thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I really wanted to, I was really struggling with that. I was like, what am I? Am I a writer or am I a visual artist or what is, what is it that I do? Mm -hmm. But now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm just, I'm an activist artist and whatever that means, like, as long as I'm creating something and it's pushing for a cause, then that's the kind of person that I want to be. I don't want to be pigeonholed into one kind of art. I want to be someone who is known as an activist and an artist. And what does that look like? That's been a lot of, that's been freeing in many ways. You know, with the podcast, it's very social and very public. Yeah. But going back to that initial, like your solo show and yeah, that's also very public and yeah, that was hard. So, but the subject matter is pretty 
intense. Yeah. And what was the communication like, let's say, at the opening or maybe you, you were able to I was, talk to people about their experiences looking at your work? It was it was really hard. I think I, I just like ex- went through my grieving process very publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the hardest parts about that was I didn't want to sell my art. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I, I was literally putting my mother into my pieces and I was like, how do artists do that? How do artists sell these pieces? Right. So then I, I overpriced everything because I didn't want them to sell. <laughs> and? and then I like put in, sent an email to my friends. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, well, since the pieces didn't sell. So now I, like all the pieces are with friends. Like they, uh-huh. my friends bought all the pieces uh-huh. for the cheaper prices. Right, right. And I feel a lot better about that because I feel like I can go visit them because I know who they're with. Right, right. Um, but that was a that was a part of visual artistry that I did not expect. Mm. Mainly, and now I'm a little bit more careful about, you know, taking my grandmother's handwritten letters and putting it in pieces because I don't now I'll photocopy stuff. Right. Because right. I don't want. There you go. I don't want it to disappear, never to be seen again. But I don't know how artists do that. Like I'm actually. Uh, think uh, working on a couple pieces to submit to a show locally maybe and then I was like well if I make it then I have to like then I then it's gone from me because you have to sell it and I was like why do we have to sell pieces can't we just make art and then keep it those are the art shows that I'm a part of I'm only a part of art shows where I don't sell my pieces (laughs) because I'm too because I don't make enough to make a profit off of my art I'm just doing it to express myself and I, I just like I I'm too attached I can't do it. How do you do it? Oh. I don't like the idea that like the idea that art has to be part of the capitalist system. Right. And art for production. No, of no. Money. But in terms of letting go. Yeah. Letting in terms of letting stuff. go. I, I, yeah. I found so that was my, my thing was like, I realized I'm okay with letting go yeah. if it's with friends. Right. And I know that I can like they're in safe hands. So that was my compromise. But I don't, it's not like I want to make money off of my art. I just. Right, right want to know that they're not going to throw it away when they're bored of it. Yeah, I had to start photocopying the letters. Yeah. That was, that was mm-hmm. I was like feeling really bad about getting rid of that. Right. Because is it mine to give get rid of my mom's stuff? I mean, I have sisters. I have a dad. That's who right. Who are still around. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. like... Who am I to say that, like, I'm going to take this? Like, I feel, I felt okay, like, taking it to make art, but I felt bad taking it and giving it to other people. And and back then, your family was also in Oakland? No, well, my whole family is down here in Los Angeles, so we did grew they, up in the suburbs. Did they see the show? Did they go up No, they didn't see the show. How, I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm wondering, how did they feel about you putting some of that I, artwork? I have a lot of my pieces up in my dad's house right now. So the hallway has a few of the pieces. Um, mm. I think they feel okay about it. I don't think they like, I mean, they like the art, um, but they, they, I do so much that they don't, they can't come to support all the things that I do. Sure. And uh, like every yeah two things a day. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> just like maxed out. But they, I mean, they, I think they like the art. Yeah. Yeah. And now I've been moving into doing, um, I don't know, other kinds of art. So that's been also nice to figure out, figure out what is, 
you know, like what is my art practice when it's not about grief? Right. Or like, how do you move on from that? Um, I've been really into, um, my mom used to do a lot of embroidery and I grew up doing embroidery and being taught by my mom. And I really like painting on wood. So I've been trying to figure out, um, how do you embroidery into wood? Oh, oh, is that why you were looking yeah, at Yeah, that's why I was press? looking at your drill. <laughs> so like the pieces that I made recently, actually the cover of my, oh. the cover of my chapbook, uh-huh. um, M dash and ellipses is a piece of art that I did where I like drilled um, into wood and then I painted on top of it. Is the chapbook available? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's about three years old now. All right. But it's there. Okay. And so I really like the idea of embroidery right yeah. now. I think that's my thing. Oh, that's cool. But it's hard to like do the layers. Because if you want to do embroidery, you have to and like wood. drill the hole first and then you have to, which means you need to know what your design is first. Right, right. And then there's a lot of like planning. Yeah, I think I was just, cause I think for me, I was painting in my living room when I was living in Oakland. I was a campaign manager when I was up there and um, I had this awesome house on International Boulevard and huge living room. So I was just, I didn't even have like, fancy supply art supplies i was going to the local um junkyard store to get find wood i mean i was like getting canvas but i found that i was being it was because i was doing collaging it was easier to find wood to collage onto and i liked how that looked um a lot better and i was just i was just painting and just i the living room just kind of like started filling up with all this artwork so the show actually happened when my roommate had a, a shop owner come through the, of the because um, it was like a gallery and a restaurant so the restaurant because uh, my roommate was a pie maker so she would always have all these like restauranteurs come through <laughs> nice. she would sell pies and so one of them this woman came through and saw the art and was like oh we can show your art in the place and oh. i'm like i hadn't even like thought of like sharing my art then i was like oh if i show it does that mean i have to sell it mm. and i was like so uh, there was no, um, they didn't ask me to sell it, but they said that if I do sell anything that they wanted to keep a percentage. So it was all, it was all kind of accidental, basically (laughs) how it came about. Um, and I don't know, it's been, I mean, people do interact with it, but I, for the most part, I was just interacting with my friends, but then I do Mm -hmm. have a lot of artist friends. Mm -hmm. So having them interact with it was really interesting. And then having my, my family interact with it was also really interesting good muslim bad muslim yeah had this uh wonderful uh recording of one of the shows in hawaii yeah we were at shangri-la an art residency were you able to bring your father there i did oh so what was that like because that was really interesting i i went with zara my co-host, um, the summer of 2017, we did a week at the Shangri-La Islamic Center for Culture of Arts or something like that. I forget what it is, but it used to be Doris Duke, Duke's uh, Hawaiian home. So Doris Duke was this, you know, rich, rich woman that had all this money. Uh, she went to the Taj Mahal for her honeymoon, was so inspired by the Taj Mahal. She goes back to Hawaii and was like, I want to make this look like the Taj Mahal. And so like this whole 
her whole estate turns into this like orientalist fantasy of like there's a rich white woman's version of what she thinks the orient looks like so it's like indian and turkey and morocco and it's ridiculous and it's a little over the top it's really over the top and so then after she died they turned it into a museum and so now they're trying to do like contemporary islamic art so zara and i did a residency there for eight days and uh, we did a live show from there. I did a mixtape that I recorded there. Um, we did workshops. It was a lot of fun. And then when I went back to LA, my dad saw the pictures and he was like, I want to go. How come I wasn't invited? And I was just like, oh gosh. And and then um, my little sister and I, we went did a vacation to Costa Rica this summer. Ooh, and then nice. my dad was also jealous of those pictures. So so mind you, my dad has never taken us on a family vacation since I was like 15 years old. So oh. he had the opportunity to hang out with us for many, many years. <laughs> and now we're all adults. So because of this, we, we were like, okay, let's, let's pull together and see if we can make this happen. We got cheap flights to Hawaii. They were $250. Wow. Yeah. Round trip. Round trip. Cause there was like some sort of like, uh, like feud between the airlines. You know how wow. like the airlines... Yeah. And they like go at it. The flights get cheaper and cheaper. So because of that, we're like, okay, let's let's just do this. So we went to, we got a, me and my two younger sisters who are adult age. It's, I say younger, but they're not like that much younger. They're my sisters. Um, we went to Hawaii and then I contacted Shangri-La. I was like, I'm going to be in town. Can I do something? So we did a po poetry show. Uh -huh. So I did a poetry show in the tapestry room of Shangri-La. Um, they found a guitarist for me, uh, to play Hawaiian guitar in the background of my pieces. Nice. Um, it was just like, it was, the sun was setting off of, you know, diamond head point and it was gorgeous. It was a little hot cause it's always hot in Hawaii. And it was, yeah, my dad got to do a tour of the grounds and then he saw me perform. This was the second time he's ever seen me perform, which is oh also kind of a big deal the first yeah. time he saw me perform was at the white house wow yeah so he he doesn't i he doesn't really interact with me and my art very much so because like it's so much more about status and prestige for him versus like i don't know whatever like the process but uh yeah he was really moved by the he said he cried when he heard the poem so i guess that's a good thing yeah that's yeah great. <laughs> Uh, and it was, um, I mean, the place is just so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, I mean, I describe it as a white, rich white woman's oriental fantasy. Right. But beyond that, it's just like, I mean, yeah, you're basically like living in this like imagination <laughs> when you're in that house. Right. It's ridiculous. Wow. It sounds amazing. You have to go if you're in Oahu. Wow. It's unreal so it, it it is a museum and it's open to the public it is yeah okay. you you can book tours there wow and watch walk around the grounds but what's great is how the current um staff is trying to infuse modern contemporary art into the space so it's kind of like she has all of her like historical pieces but then they're bringing in new artists so when you walk around there's all these um installations on the grounds oh, okay. which are done by n new artists artists of today yeah.
connections I, there. I think one of the things that really struck me about this space is mm-hmm. that, um, like when I was walking on the marble stairs, I was like, oh, this feels like, this feels like mine. This is my stuff. This is my people's stuff. Like, why is this here in Hawaii? Why mm-hmm. does this, why did this rich white woman get to have this experience when this is my people's? It was like such a visceral, like. Because she can. Yeah, because she was a rich white woman right. that had all this access to money through tobacco or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, but why do you get this? And I don't get this. Mm-hmm. So that was my feeling. But then Zara's feeling about the space was that uh, she can't go to Iran anymore. She doesn't because uh, of the things that she said politically. Mm-hmm. So for her, she's like, I, ca- I can't experience my people's art. But here in this space, I get to interact with these Iranian tiles in a way that or Persian, what Iranian Persian tiles, uh, in a way that I will never get the opportunity to again. So it was, we that both definitely had like a mix of feelings of being in this museum space. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm That's excited. Yes. I don't know what it means. Well, but you get to create. That. I get to create yeah. it. Yeah. I am. You. An activist in residence at UCLA. I'll be housed out of the UCLA Asian American Studies Center. Um, first th- one. Third one. Third? Third one, yeah. Oh. I'm not the first one. You're not the first one. And I'm actually going to be doing it, there, well, there's two of us right now. Okay. The other person is being housed out of the Luskin Policy School. So there's two of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, even though we're just the third set it's still pretty new like it's only been around for the past two years and so i'm still kind of confused as to what an activist in residence does Uh, i'm supposed to be talking to students on campus and (laughs) hanging out Uh, i'm going to be doing working on a advice column for asian american activists um oh sorry where will that be published i don't know yet okay i'm gonna incubate it in this fellowship and we're gonna see what happens and you posted you have office hours? I have office hours. I have an office. Have they an office? gave me keys. Nice. I know. Who knows? I have 10 weeks to figure it out. Do they pay for parking? They pay for parking. Good. I know. that. Is, everyone's <laughs> been asking about that. <laughs> I was like, I I feel like in LA, like people were like, no, I'm not going to take it if I have to pay for parking. Yeah. Oh, it's but such UCLA a big deal. is notorious. Yeah. No, they're going to pay for parking. Yeah. And how long is this residency? It's 10 weeks um, okay. with the ex- potential for keeping it on longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be keeping my day job. So the podcast project that comes out of this is going to be in conjunction between the two schools. Or not this. It's going to be in conjunction between the UCLA and 18 Million Rising. Okay. So we're going to. I see. So I'll still be keeping that project going after leaving. Okay. I'm excited. Wow. I feel like there's like a need for, uh, for young Asian Americans who leave college. Cause in college you get all this access to knowledge and then you graduate and then you no longer have that access specifically for Asian American knowledge. You have access to mainstream media, but you know, hyphen magazines, not around Ghidra is not around, you know, like all these like places, which used to be hubs of Asian American activism right. knowledge aren't around anymore. So we wanted to figure out how do we keep 
keep that going right and provide that and podcast are the new blogs so let's try it out and and um good muslim bad muslim is through potluck what we are part called? of a collective, collective called potluck. potluck um we are hosted on audio boom and which is just like a platform and potluck podcast collective is uh, a bunch of podcasts that are run by asian americans and we kept talking about how there are all these other collectives out there for podcasts and we were like we we want our own collective um we have a studio space in visual communications in little tokyo uh, so that's where we record and it's fun. There's a, there's like a, a bunch of us that are a part of this network now. Um, so you can go to potluck podcast collective and search for that. And that nice. all our show should pop up. That concludes another episode of visitings. Thank you to Tazamit for taking the time to speak with us again. You can find more information on her work at www.tazistar.me. You can find more episodes of Visiting's radio show at SoundCloud, iTunes, dublab.com, or our website, visitings.net. If you visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes, please leave a comment so more people can learn about our show. Thanks, as always, to the Echo Park Film Center and DubLab for their support. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visiting.